Welcome to Rooster and the Devil, where we give you the Americans' perspective on English Premier League soccer, with hosts Brad Tyndall, Jimmy Carn, and Mike Steenstra. Ramen, man, what's going on? Welcome to Rooster and the Devil. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So I brought you on because one of our Twitter followers who's been on the podcast talking about some different trips he's done around Europe shouted you guys out. Uh, specifically he called out CONCACAF Champions League because I had put out a graphic like, you know, does anybody care about this? (laughs) Why I'm saying that is because I'm new to soccer, right? I've only been watching for about three years. Yeah. I got into Premier League and that's kind of where I started and now I'm kind of going back. Like I I would say I was a USMNT fan since 2010 World Cup. Yeah. Kind of like a bro-y soccer go USA type of way. So that's where I'm. Yeah, yeah. I all of a sudden turn on I turn on that uh, that episode first loved it and then I started from the beginning I just want to compliment you you are such a good storyteller I I I don't know if you know that but you've done a really really good job in your research it's it's fascinating I appreciate the kind words man um yeah it's it's been it's been a it's been a good ride like like you I wasn't part of MLS fanhood until until like probably halfway in, you know, like, uh, probably around 2005 or six. Um, so like for me, it was like, it was more like doing the research, finding the history, but you know, the, the league has grown and soccer has grown so much in the last few years. Like I, I live in Atlanta. And so like, there's so many fans here that have been in the league for like one or two years that I thought it would be interesting to make, tell stories about, you know, how the league is now based upon things that happened like maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. We'll get into a little bit more, but I did want to also say that I'm originally from Jersey. I've heard you guys on the podcast. I'm from uh, Maryland now. Oh yeah. So how'd you get from Jersey down to Atlanta? Yeah. I grew up, uh, I grew up in central Jersey, like right. Um, town called Flemington. Um, went to school in New York and then, got a job at Coke in New York. And then eventually if you work at Coca-Cola, eventually all roads lead to Atlanta. So like, um, so work brought me down here about five years ago. Gotcha. And I, I, I started that that way because I once upon a time attended a Metro stars game. Nice. In Giant stadium. And I've heard you guys talk about that a little bit. Yeah. What was that? So that was before you were truly an MLS fan or was that when you were starting to get into it? Yeah, it was about like, it was about right when I was getting into it is when they were in the last few years as Metro stars. Um, like we did a episode on Freddie Adu and that was like the first big game that I remember going to. Um, I have been to a few times when I was younger, I was playing like travel soccer and, um, and you know, you would eventually just go to see some Metro stars once in a while, but it wasn't until like Freddie Adu started and like I started getting more and more into the league. I was in college and we would just like probably see a game every you know, every month or so. Um, but yeah, it, it was different back then, man. Um, as you probably know, like if you went to the giant stadium and watched Metro stars game, it's not the same. Yeah, no, I, I have just very, uh, very vague memories of that. And what I remember most is I went with my youth club soccer team Yeah. and a kid from my team stole a ball off the field. He stole one of those oh. Ultima balls. And I remember really? just being like a 
appalled. I, I was like, what is he doing? Like, he's stealing. <laughs> he got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Tony Miola. That's pretty much it from the team. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the, like, honestly, we would buy tickets wherever and then you would just like go as close to the field as you possibly can because there yeah. weren't that many people in the, in the stadium, you know? I, I do kind of remember that as well. You could just go wherever you wanted. And I remember a lot of empty seats as well. Yeah. 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 It's different, man. It's, it's changed a lot since then. Well, which brings me to the Columbus stadium story. Like that was the, the whole podcast just kind of blew my mind. Cause I I've come into just watching premier league and I'm like, you know, I've seen a few MLS games. I was making fun of the quality, which, you know, I have no right to do in the first place, <laughs> but, but hearing the podcast and then how it went from, you know, 84 Olympics to influence the world cup in 96. And then just the early goings on of the league has completely changed my opinion of it. And I found the Columbus uh, stadium story fascinating. So I was wondering if you could do a little teaser of, of what that meant to the league, the soccer yeah. stadiums. Yeah. I mean, before that, you know, the, the origins of the league was very much built around this idea. Like we got the world cup um, and part of the deal about getting the world cup was starting a league. And so um, majority of the, teams they basically went to the major cities and they use existing infrastructure which is like your nfl stadiums right sure. and so the the one guy who was really pushing for um creating a soccer specific stadium a stadium just made for soccer and not like playing in an eighty thousand person stadium was lamar hunt and the reason why he was like that even though he was at that point the known as like being the owners of the Kansas city chiefs and being in football is that he, he like has been in so many different world cups and generally loved the sport. And he got the idea that like, you know, the, the product is better, not just on the players that are on the, on the pitch, but also like, you know, being in a more intimate environment. And so like they went through a lot of trouble. I mean, he was trying to get one started basically year one and it took him three or four years, uh, starting off saying like, you know, trying to get public money and then eventually funding the entire thing by himself. Um, but I think that first stadium when it was built created a model for the entire league and that the, the stadium when it's like smaller, it's like, you know, as you talk about giant, as a soccer fan, I think I see that smaller venue packed gills with excited fans makes a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It makes it, it makes the product way better. And then from a business side, what's interesting is that you start controlling revenues because then right. all of a sudden, oh, like, huge. yeah, it's huge in terms of like being able to control the ticket sales, controlling where, you, when, and when you play, but like stadium rights, um, all the concessions are now yours. Parking fees are yours. And all of a sudden, like owning a team is a lot, you know, easier to not lose a, mon- a lot of money on. So because he did that, that ended up becoming the model for the rest of the league. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't guaranteed, you know, like it was sort of like, it happened to be one guy who really wanted to do it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. well, the, the ranch meeting is, is probably one of the favorite moments of the podcast. Just like, yeah, it, it went down to three owners at one point, right. To, yep. I forget how many teams, like eight yeah. to 12 or something, but it was yep. Robert Kraft and then Lamar Hunt was one. Yep. And Phil Anschutz. Yeah. Phil Anschutz. Yeah. And it, yeah, there were three, there were down 12 teams, three owners. Like people were just like it's crazy. leaving. Yeah. Left and right. And they, they were this close to shutting it down. And, uh, Garber, Don Garber, who's the commissioner now, but like 
he was basically gave two options. It was like one option is you've lost a lot of money. I think at that point they lost like $250 million as owners. We lost a lot of money. We can close shop. That's crazy. Give up. Yeah. Or we can like literally double down and start replicating the Columbus thing everywhere. And that becomes like spending double the money that you've spent before, not on players, but on stadiums and infrastructure, you know, like, um, and credit, credit to the three owners, specifically Lamar Hunt and Phil Anschutz, who like really came in, owned multiple teams, actively kind of sold teams to new investors, but also created stadiums. And that, and that was sort of, I call it like a MLS 1.0. Cause then it was like, once that was set up, it was like, all right, the league is going to survive. Yeah, up until then, Lee could have easily folded, you know? Sure. I mean, it was really yeah. those three guys that saved it. And and as I was listening to it, I was just thinking, I was painting my toddler's room. So it's weird. You and your brother, yeah. Needle. Yeah. And actually, yeah. I don't think we've said the name of the podcast yet. 25 yeah. Stories That Made MLS. But I was just painting the toddler's room, listening. And I was like, what would professional soccer look like today if MLS had folded in the, those early years? It, it's just a crazy, like, I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. And like, I, you know, you mentioned like you, you got a soccer recently in EPL, but I'm assuming you follow uh U.S. men's national team, right? Yeah. And, and since I started watching soccer, I, I just consume soccer content all day. Uh, Grant yeah. Wall's podcast, all the podcasts. Yeah. All, I have the athletic um, subscription and like, I just, I don't know. I fell in love with the sport. I was a huge basketball guy before I yeah. watched soccer. So naturally like, once I heard your podcast and the business end of MLS's beginnings, that all of a sudden made the league like 10 times more interesting for me. Yeah. Which I think you as the storyteller probably can relate to, right? Like that, is that part of why you fell in love? Yeah. Part of it is like, I mean, part of it was, I, you know, I got into it when it was still, um, it was like halfway in. So it was like, it felt like you were in a club. It felt like you were in a club that like, not everyone was into, and then you felt like you believed in it and you wanted to see soccer succeed. Um, and so like for me, I wanted to uh, share kind of why I was excited by it. But also I think the other thing that I, I enjoy in it is that, you know, recent years in, in U S soccer you haven't been the best. And, and so like you get frustrated by the, you know, last six months, last one year. But if you take a look and take a step back of, how much has been done in the last 20 years? You're like, oh man, like literally 10 years ago, we had almost zero academies, you know, like, um, yeah. and now it's, and now it's like every single team has been investing in it. We're starting to get more and more players that are domestically grown. Especially uh, your team's New York Red Bulls, right? You have yeah. Tyler Adams is a huge success in Bundesliga. I mean, I follow, yeah. all, I, I follow all the US MNT guys abroad and a lot yeah. of them are academy guys. Who else? Afonso Davies, Bayern. Yep. What are a hey. few more? Yeah, you got Weston McKinney, who never signed with MLS, but Dallas, he was right? at FC Dallas. Yeah, um, and you're talking. I mean, Alfonso Davies, you could probably say is probably the best Concacaf talent, maybe ever. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I watched like, him the Bayern uh, Leipzig game two weekends ago. He's a uh, yeah, impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, and and so the three we just named, like Davies, McKinney, Adams, they're all 21 or less. You yeah. Know? And like everyone that's underneath them is coming off the same infrastructure. And like, it's just exciting to think about like that stuff being built and what that means for the soccer product on the field. Sure. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I do think that pr- premier league mornings 
have made a difference in just soccer fandom, which will yeah, eventually yeah. filter down into the U.S. game. And you got to be excited to watch in like Atlanta United. Um, do you go to some of those games? Yeah, I'm, uh, I try to go to every game that I can. I mean, uh, it's crazy that Atlanta, of all the cities, has embraced MLS. They get like 40, 40 to 50,000 a game, which has been oh, good. Uh, I would say, like, honestly, like, I think Joseph Martinez is the most popular athlete more than any footballer or baseball player in the city. So, That's like, crazy. Uh, it's, it's more than that, Trey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That is crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then Al Marone right before that. that yeah. Was very big transfer. I mean, what's it like to see the, the league in the last few years? I feel like even in the last four or five years, it seems like it's been a big shift. It's been crazy. I mean, uh, I mean, I remember when they announced the, the team and they were getting ready for it. You just see, you know, banners and bars and like things like that. I, to your point, I think Trey might actually be more popular than Joseph Martinez, but like Trey's special. So he's, like, he's awesome. You know, I love him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, in general, like I think the most popular team in Atlanta proper is probably Atlanta United, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so going back to the podcast a little bit, I wanted to ask you about project 2010. That was, that was really cool to me. All the, all the USMNT guys that came out of that project. So would you mind explaining that a little bit and, Again, I would suggest listening to the, their whole podcast. I'm just giving you a little flavor here. Yeah. So um, they, U.S. soccer at one point, you know, they they qualified for the World Cup. So, like, you know, before the, for a while, it wasn't guaranteed they were going to qualify for the World Cup. And then they were hosting the World Cup. And then, you know, they were about to go to 1998 World Cup. And they were feeling pretty good about themselves. So as Americans do, they're like, all right, how do we win this whole thing? And so they, they hired a, a coach with some international pedigree named Carlos Quiroz. Um, he, he used to manage Portugal, um, ended up managing the Metro Stars and actually going to Manchester United for a bit and also like managed Real Madrid after that. Um, so a guy with pretty good pedigree and they asked him to like make a report and what does it take for us to win a World Cup by 2010, which is probably 2010. Ambitious. Obviously, we didn't, we didn't do that. Yeah, we didn't do that. And then... Um, the guy, the guy spent like a year trying to write a report. And a lot of it is like, I mean, it's like 70 pages. I don't say about 60 pages of it is like kind of dry reading and it's organizational structures. And it's I think like I might like of, it, honestly. I kind of, I, yeah, I, yeah. I did write down that I wanted to look that up, but I'll continue. send it to you. I'll send, right. Yeah, I'll send it to you. The, um, but the interesting kind of takeaway he had was like the American ethos in sport. Like this idea that like any given Sunday is the is a saying in football, right? Yeah, and like yeah. um, it was actually he was he said it was sort of like um, putting a bandaid on a broken bone. And your mentality is what makes you interesting and seemingly competitive on the field. But if you really look at what it takes to win a World Cup and to be truly like a threat to win a World Cup, it requires like eleven players who are actually really, really talented. And then if you looked at Basically, the system back then is like majority of the players in the American soccer team, they went to college. They might have graduated college or left maybe like a, as a junior. And then they got their first professional experience when they were 21. 20. And his point was in Europe, like you would get your first professional experience. The best of the best would be at 16 or 17. And so his major thing was building a pipeline where like, you know, between the ages of zero and 12, you know, you would figure out if you like the game, 
you're has some natural talent in it, you need to have a scouting system between 12 and 14 or 15 to be able to find the best talented players and then put them in an environment to like really work on their skills. And by 15, 16, put them in a route where they can get professional experiences before they turn 18. Right. Um, which is, if you look at it now is sort of the model, right? Yeah. It took, it took a long time to do it, but it it's amazing it out back how then. much Americans didn't understand the game. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. World game everywhere else. Nobody gave a shit here. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was, it was also like they, they were like, all right, we can do this. But there's a belief that we have really great athletes and that all we need to do is just like try a little bit. Yeah. You know, how, how many times have you heard is like, what if the, our best athletes played soccer? We we would oh, win the World Cup, dis- right? It's almost disgusting at this time, at this point. Yeah. It's not. Although yeah. there are some good ones, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, and so he put that out there and like that first step was like a single academy that was in Bradenton and, you know, they found the best 16 or 17, 17 year olds in the country to, to have that kind of experience. And that's when you get players like Michael Bradley, Josie Alphador, Freddie Adu come out of that one single academy in Bradenton. Um, but that model is now replicated nationally. And, and that's what's been really able to increase the quality of the players that we have here. But yeah, it took, it took us a solid, I mean, uh, spoiler alert, we didn't win the 2010 World Cup. So like, it took us a long time to learn that lesson, you know? That was a fun one though. That was the first one I remember watching. And I remember yeah. that Lane Donovan goal. Yeah. Like right on the goal line. I was like, and that, that one I do remember as the first time I was like, wow, I really like soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was in a bar and it was like the entire place went bananas. It was like nuts. It was a true moment yeah. in soccer sports. Yeah, yeah, and it is that USA belief because they performed well. I, you know, in a yeah. few World Cups, 2014. I mean, they didn't make the last one, obviously, but 2014 they barely. Uh, actually, your brother. I wanted to point out that Juan Lasky was offsides in the, oh. the miss sitter. Like, look at yes. that again. I, I'm pretty sure he's offsides against oh, Belgium. That's good to know. That's good to know. I, I, I've been avoiding to watch that game for a while. So yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I'm tempted to throw that one on again because that was an exciting one to watch. Yeah. I mean, Tim Howard was absolutely office rocker. Yeah. Stood on his head. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean like uh, the 2010 experience was awesome and it, it's crazy. Like it, the analogy I have in my mind, cause the rest of the world, they think like, Hey, we're an up and coming team. And they're like, we're fine. You know, we're going to develop and, uh, but it's sort of like, you know, in March madness, there's always like a team in sweet 16. That's like from a mid major. And you're like, George Oh, Mason. that team. That, yeah. George Mason is a perfect example. Like George Mason is always a threat to make it a sweet 16. And that's sort of us, but like our, our intent in, in American sports is to be the best. And like the different, the level that George Mason has to increase in order to actually compete to win the whole thing is a huge jump. It's a perfect between, analogy, really. Yeah. It's a huge yeah. jump between yeah. being able to be like decent in the tournament versus winning the whole thing. And that's like the, the gap we're trying to close. Right. But now MLS academies have regionalized where more talent yeah. is being developed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's actually it's uh, our next episode. Episode 17 will be specifically about the academy system. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. Do you have 
uh, all the episodes planned out ahead of time or do you do the research and then say like, this is what I'm thinking, brother. And, and how did you guys come up with this? Like, like your little brother asking you questions about MLS and yeah. it's, just, it's kind of, it's a fun concept. In terms of mapping it out, basically in my head, there's like three phases of MLS that we've had, like, um, or four phases. One is like the early years when the league could have gone either way or folded. Then you have MLS 1.0 when it was all about like just building up the infrastructure and like the ownership 2.0, which is where we are right now in the podcast, which is around designated players, mm-hmm. David Beckham. Not a great episode. Stuff. And then 3.0 is like the era where we are right now, where we're actually trying to catch up with Mexico, I think is like the right. key thing. Right. Liga and Mekis, which I had never heard that term before. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so we're trying, and that's the kind of the phase we're at right now. And so like we've, we've identified um, key points in there, not like a full 25 points, but like I would say about 15 have been mapped out. And then as I'm doing research, I find things are more and more interesting. And then you kind of fill in the gaps there. Like, so I can tell you right now, like one of the last episodes will probably be Alfonso Davies because it's the most recent, but it's, it's very important. Makes sense. Um, but uh, of the last like seven or eight that we have to do, I probably only know three or four. And then the rest I'll figure out kind of in the middle. So how scripted are you going into an episode? Because your outline, it seems very organized. So I'm curious about that. Yeah. So for me, I do the research and I like, uh, I, and honestly, I'll got research going in just knowing one or two things. Mm-hmm. And then I'll find things that I think are personally interesting. And I try to, whenever I can try to put a human element in it. So like, mm-hmm. what's that person's point of view in it? Yeah. So like, not just saying, here's what happened, but here's what this person was thinking during this time period. So much of the story though, like, yeah. Yeah. And so like, I try to do it that way. And then I write out the outline. Um, and then my brother actually doesn't know anything. So he, he goes in like literally 10 minutes before he's like, what's the topic? I'm like, this is a topic. And his role in it is actually to make sure I don't go off the rails on the details and like on the business stuff. Okay. And so he asks questions because he's, he's knowledgeable about the league and loves he, the league. He does a great right. job too. Yeah. I mean, the dynamic between you as brothers and as podcast co-hosts now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, he asks the questions that I want to ask because I don't know the topic either. Yeah. Yeah. He does a great job with that. And then like, and then he also like cracks jokes, which I think yeah. he's like, He's like, oh, that reminds me of something in my like personal life. And he knows like, soccer too. Like, he's not asking yeah. dumb questions. He knows more about MLS than I do, for sure. Yeah, he he knows soccer, but he like makes sure that I'm like making sense and like um, that I'm not skipping steps and I'm not jumping. Like I, you know, I, I'm in. So business. he helps with the organizing. Yeah, exactly. Is there a lot of cutting up of audio, or is it one? It's because it sounds like one straight up story. Yeah. So we'll. And especially in the beginning when we're still trying to figure out like our format and like how it works, we'll go like 10 minutes and he'll stop and he'll be like, you know, I see what you're trying to say, but like, this is kind of missing. So let's just start from the beginning and we'll just restart instead of like cutting it up too much. Um, But now I think we, at least after a few times, like I've gotten to the rhythm of like, oh, this is kind of how a story can be weaved. These are the national points where my brother would interject. Um, And then whenever he says something, it's like, Let's not be afraid to like really explore that, even though it's not on my outline, you know, like. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what it's such a complex topic. And I feel like you guys are honestly the first people covering it. 
Yeah. You might you, not man. you might not have thought of that when you when you started the podcast. You're just like, this is a fun thing to do, but I've never heard of a comprehensive storyline from eighty four World Cup to present. So I I yeah. think you guys are gonna be successful with it. I, I'm, have you gotten some good feedback already? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the feedback has been super positive. Uh, every episode that we launch is our now more most successful episode yet. Um, and MLS like, has got to be interested as well, right? Like people from MLS, because yeah. it's all positive, and, and not that it has to ever be negative. Like what they did is to build a league is is fascinating. People love it. Yeah, the, the guys from like Extra Time Radio, listen to them. Like they are. Uh, they give some shout outs and, and retweets and, and moments of encouragement. And I think like it'll be really interesting because it's an everlasting podcast, right? It's like once the 25 is done, you can still listen to it. If you haven't, it's not dependent yeah. on when you listen to it. So like, yeah. it'll be interesting to see like once the entire anthology is done, like, you know, how many people continue to get into it, you know? So, um, we've I been, think, we've been, yeah, really it's the kind of one that spreads cause it's a story. And yeah. People, I, I love podcasts, not just not just soccer podcasts. I mean, they're great thrown on in the car. So, yeah, I think you're gonna do it, man. I, I think I think it's gonna catch on. I, I truly believe that it's too good not to. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just complimenting you today. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. So you played? Did you play uh, soccer in New Jersey? Yeah, I played I play travel. Um, played in a club for a while. Uh, it's so crazy to think about it now. Cause like, I remember even though I was in travel, like our coaches, a lot of our coaches, um, were not soccer coaches. They were just like, Same. my, yeah, my, my son wants to play soccer. I played basketball. I don't know anything about tactics, but I'll make you guys run a lot, you know, like yeah. kind of thing. And yep. so like, mm-hmm. and now thinking about like, I don't know if you ever see like youth teams play now, you're just like, my God, it's like a completely different game. I never yeah, learned I, I, the game. Like they never yeah. taught it. At all. Yeah. We were in yeah. formations that you never even hear of too, like stopper and sweeper type yeah. of deal. It, yeah. It, yeah. It's it's crazy to look at the game now and I played it for like ten years. Zero tactical instruction. Like literally zero. Same thing. I I, I, I played in as a right back or then central central mid. And I, as a right back, I probably played same as you, like nine or 10 years. I don't think I've ever once been taught how to keep, make sure you have an offside trap, which is like a yeah. basic soccer, right? Like not that would dominate. Like if you could get an 11 year old team to, and a good ref, that's part of the problem. At <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. <laughs> the, but an offside trap. Yeah. You never, never learned it. Like I, I kind of had a fuzzy idea that you could catch people offside. Yeah, but like to have an organized back line was never a thought. But but did you play like you? Did you play any other sports like basketball growing up too? So that was my main sport. I switched to all basketball in sixth grade because I would go to the beach every summer and yeah. surf. And to be to play in high school, you had to like come back and destroy your summer. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to play basketball. So at some point, I switched it's- to that. Same, same. So I switched. Uh, I mean, the thing is, I play club soccer, but I really love playing basketball. I'm not that tall, so like I wasn't great at it. But your brother's five playing, three. Yeah, my brother's five three. He played <laughs> basketball too. I'm, like, I'm five eight. Yeah, I'm five six. So like it was never gonna work out. In the long run. But like, <laughs> uh, but like compare like the learnings that you got 
in basketball, right? Like, when did you learn about like chopping a half half court chop? Like my dad, a- my dad played college basketball. So from a very early age, it was yeah, very. It, it, we played a one three one in fifth grade, and we dominated yeah. a little half court trap. Like, yeah, I learned all the defenses. I knew everything by eighth grade, probably. And that's what we, I think, are, are missing on soccer, right? It's like, it probably requires a generation. It requires yeah. like dads or moms that grew up playing the game, then teaching their kids at like fourth, fifth grade. Dio Reyna. His yeah. mother played in North Carolina. His dad yeah. was Claudio Reyna. They had yep. a child, and now he's just a wonder kid. Yeah. And he probably he knew the tactics probably by the time he was like 10. Like Probably. advanced tactics. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's like not that crazy to think about. I know he's a special example in terms of like the, the pedigree, but like you, me, like we, we learned the basketball tactics by like eight, nine, 10 years old because we were taught by people who play basketball. The game. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, it's really interesting to think about, you know, again, I, I always like, it's very easy to get frustrated at us soccer, but then to say like, you know, when we were growing up, we this that infrastructure that coaching wasn't there and now it's there which means like the fruits of the labor will probably be like 10 15 years from now but like it's definitely moving in the right direction it gives me a little bit of hope so yeah i mean it's hard not to to think what you just said like academies are set up everywhere now there's more chances to find talent like that that was what was striking before project uh 2010 is like you just couldn't find the talent you know there wasn't a network the, yeah. the best network was like uh, college. And by that point, it right. was too late. Yeah. In college soccer, uh, we actually did an NCAA episode like, I don't know, a long time ago. Our podcast yeah. is like week to week, like a news. But then I do bonus episodes where I get like this. And yeah. I used to actually be an NBA reporter for a little while, but uh, just for a little Japanese magazine randomly. But no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my background a little bit. That's um, awesome. But I wanted to talk about Don Garber a little bit because what I knew about Don Garber before the podcast was that he was MLS commissioner. Some people didn't like him, mostly because ProRel is not being implemented. Yeah. And then to find out, like, he, this man got plucked out of the NFL GM structure, uh, ownership or commissioner structure, sorry, and yep. then handpicked for MLS by because owners that, uh, that were in MLS were also intertwined with NFL. Yeah. But to see like how important he was for the league, I was like, okay, I got to back off of Don Garber a little bit. Yeah. I, and to be honest, like, I think it's the same thing with the Bruce arena. thing. it's one thing that to be too. like, I was say that after yeah. it's one thing to be like, to be critical of them now, which is fair, you know? Sure. hundred percent fair, but it's also, another thing to appreciate what they've done for the game. And so right. like, and Garber, like you said, was plucked out of the NFL because, you know, Robert Kraft is a Patriots owner and then Lamar Hunt is the chief's owner. So they knew him. Um, and he brought into the, the league, the business structure that was required to move things forward. Right. He was not a soccer guy before joining the league. And now obviously he's been in the league for so long. He's, by definition, a soccer guy. I but bet he loves the game now. If he stayed yeah. at, as a commissioner for that long, and you know he's thought about it for you know more than any of us could ever ever think about it. Yeah, yeah. And so like you know you know he loves the game now, but like, and so I think 
I think people who are critical of him now are, are completely fair, but also recognize has done so much for American soccer that now, yeah, obviously he was the coach of our loss of all time. Uh, and he hasn't done himself any favors by the interviews that he does afterwards. Um, but let, let's recognize exactly how much he's done before all that stuff. And yeah. Pretty impressive. I mean, pretty important. What do you think? What also struck me about Bruce Arena was he was an All-American in two sports, <laughs> lacrosse yeah. and in soccer. And then the, the rule change, you discussed all weird rules that MLS had where they were considering behind the goal play. <laughs> And I yeah. think your brother said something about Bruce being a tactical genius. If <laughs> like they had in that portion, of yeah, that. it's funny. That's if funny. they implemented lacrosse rules, and it's also funny because like you look at Bruce Arena, you're like, you don't think he's like an athlete <laughs> by any means. No way. No way. <laughs> yeah, I was like, so the dude was like a joke. yeah. <laughs> dude was an all state, all all country athlete in two sports, which is yeah. pretty crazy. And yeah. then the yeah. title runs at, in uh, University of Virginia. College soccer was the only organized soccer for that age group. Well, yep. not the only, like there was, you know, lesser leagues, but it was the most popular for a long yeah. time there. Yeah. And, and he won and he like won. three titles. Yeah, he won. And then he went to MLS and he won. And then he yeah. did U.S. soccer. And we probably had probably our best run underneath him. And then LA Galaxy, he won. And then he just happened in the last like few years. I think had a bad run and uh, we'll see how he does in new England. But like, I mean, I don't think uh, three or four years of bad run erases 20 years of really good kind of record and, you know, and, and honestly, the game. people, people hate on them because of one freak result in Trinidad. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Like if they had yeah. won that game and fizzled out of the world cup, it would have been quickly forgiven. I would say, because I think at this point we kind of realize we're not going to win the World Cup. Going, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of crazy. I like there might be it's still probably too fresh, but like probably, maybe like five or ten years down the road, you might point to this and say us not making the World Cup actually made us become more serious about yeah. it. You know, and uh, yeah. like how you know when Germany hit its really low point or Chile hit a low point, then they got twenty eighteen for Germany. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, uh, it, I think I, maybe that's the case, but like, you're right. There was, if they, if we win that game, probably not too much is said about it. You know, like yeah, even if right. we fizzle out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I will say though, arena has not helped himself in the interviews afterwards. Like, no, he, he sounds like, like an asshole. I will say that <laughs> he's not, he's not taking responsibility. And so that's not helping by any means, but like, you're absolutely right. Um, and in that, in that case, it sucks that Pulisic was in to play the world cup, but like yeah. it has really put a focus and like the fans are no longer just showing up to games. I think they want to see like structural improvement. They, they're holding the, the organization to like a much higher standard. Um, and now it's like kind of in us soccer's court to like adjust and, and to prove itself again, you know? Yeah. It is funny to see, I think everyone can agree that Jurgen Klinsmann is not a tactician, but his development plans for U.S. soccer were kind of on point, I'd say. And I he, think he helped there. He, um, you can make the argument that he would have been a great like technical director, right? Yeah, right. of like actually trying to be like this is what the system should look like. Um, but man, it's like uh, it's also crazy to think about like you know. Jurgen Klinsmann got great results 
Bob Bradley got great results. Bruce Arena got great results. And those results that were great were probably a little higher than our, our actual talent level. Right. Similar to the... To make it to the knockout stages is even... I mean, with our yeah. development up until now is impressive. Like, yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> Which is why I, look at, I lived abroad for a few years and like they say only great things about U.S. soccer because of that they, they recognize that the players aren't that great but they're always competitive right and they're always like in the group stages threatening to go to the knockouts which is um, cool <laughs> yeah yeah all you need is that cohesion and like stubbornness and, and there is something to that u.s mentality you, you know we talked about it earlier maybe not being a positive in some situations but like there's something to that <laughs> they know how to play tournaments i guess maybe i i feel like that's always going to be part of our identity right it's like working harder than the other team being yeah. a bit more fit counter-attacking team it's just that you need to pair that with like someone Skill. maybe not the coach yeah but like <laughs> someone who's looking at the bigger picture be like we need to get better players to fit that system you know <laughs> right <laughs> but like let's keep that system but like let's get better players let's develop better players and and to be honest like i, I don't know I'm I'm very uh, high on the classes coming up right now. It's like Adams, Pulisic, McKenney, uh, Weya, Sergeant, Sergeant. Yeah, Dest, Dest, Red, like Reg Cannon. Like what are like? There's a bunch of MLS talents that are that are coming up. I I don't think you can think of any other year where you've had better talent coming up. That's like 21 right. or under. Yeah, I mean uh, even just Bundesliga alone is is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I spend now most weekends recording and watching Bundesliga games. So, uh, yeah, that's been kind of our uh, secondary league on this podcast. So we originally started it. I was host because I didn't know anything about soccer. So we started it when, last year. So yeah. I was the naive person asking a rooster Tottenham fan and the devil Man United fan like yep. how the game works. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's awesome yeah. so who, who did you end up uh rooting for like who's your team i got a little uh unfor- i feel almost oh nice about a tottenham supporter ship now because yeah. like now that i know the game a little more i probably would have picked someone different but i'm too too deep in although am i i, I don't know i have this we always have guests on like we've had a lester guest on or southampton guest on i feel like i'm always courted but yeah fan to them but <laughs> dude i mean once you pick a team you kind of go with right it. i gotta go like i gotta go my uh around the same time i got into mls i got into bolton that's like not my huh. english team nice uh, <laughs> you had a you had a rough year i yeah it was not it has not been a great few years to say the least <laughs> um but yeah we, it was like when Stu holden was playing back in the day and so like, yeah yeah. Uh, oh, another thing about the pot going back into your podcast, Tim Howard being sold from Metro Stars to Manchester United, and I had never realized that he actually got real legitimate playing time at United because I had always seen him in an Everton jersey. Yeah, and that was yeah. was that the start of MLS 2.0, the Tim Howard sale? No, the, that's the craziest part about it. That Tim Howard sale happened in the middle of like the league just like kind of finding its own. Um, mm. and like, I think, uh, when he got sold, they just made the stub hub center or the galaxy play, but it, it was still kind of in the, in flux. And it's like the most interesting thing to me is like, um, is like the idea of Alex Ferguson, like seeing video of giant stadium that's like empty and then seeing <laughs> this keeper who's like on turf <laughs> 
And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's the guy I need. On, but just on a Manchester monster, United. though. He, he, the clips yeah. are probably like him eating <laughs> the ball because he's fucking good. Yeah, he's really, he's really, really good. And then, like, from his perspective, like, who knows how much money he was making? Probably not that much. And, like, getting that call, and then all of a sudden, your next game is his first game is actually in Giant Stadium. It's a friendly, uh, but he's playing with, like, you know, the world's best players all of yeah. a sudden. You know, yeah. like, and it's kind of cool weird. though that he got his first game with Manchester United in where he's comfortable. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like that first year, like people forget, like he was actually, yeah, he was a starter. It wasn't yeah. until he made a bad mistake in Champions League, and the next year he was still the starter, and then he eventually lost it out to Van der Sar, who was a great keeper. And there's no shame in that. Sure. He had a great career in Everton, you know? Like, right, club legend. He's a club yeah. legend. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is funny to think about now. It's like, my God, like, one, props to the Manchester United scouting network to be able to find him. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who the hell is that? He's probably, yeah. I, I envision like a guy in the back row with a brown bag and yeah. bottles. Yeah. It's like, just like, yeah, I'll check this game out in this giant stadium. You know, like, uh, be like, you know what? I think that I could be wrong or it could be the liquor. I think that guy's pretty good. You know, that would be an interesting the story to find the scout that, that found Tim Howard. Yeah. Funny his, name, to talk to. his name, his name is Tony Cotton. Uh, he knows. So, you're you're yeah. an encyclopedia of knowledge. Yeah, he's a uh, he's an English guy. They had a, like, a falling out. They used to be really tight, and they had a falling out. But um, but yeah, I'm sure he'd be a great interview to like <laughs> talk about how he found him. Right. Yeah. All right. So I, I want to ask you about what's your favorite current MLS soccer specific stadiums. Like, if you can make a U.S. trip, like, what are the stadiums you got to see? Yeah, I think. Um, if I was going to make a pilgrimage, like I would pick the Columbus crew stadium. OG. Um, yeah. Cause they're building a new one soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's going to get destroyed. So see the OG before it goes. Uh, I think you got to go to the LA galaxy stadium just for the history yep. of it. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of best atmosphere, probably Portland. Um, oh yeah. That's cool. Cause like on, on TV, man, it looks amazing and incredible. Um, and, and a beautiful that, little city on the West Coast. Yes, yes. <laughs> not to like. Yeah, and I think uh, you gotta you gotta see LAFC LA, LAFC Stadium in, in terms of like the modern version of what MLS stadiums can be like. LAFC is uh, bringing the hype to the league. Yeah, like, they caught my eye more than Zlatan, more than El Trafico, more than anything going yeah. MLS playoffs like. Said, what the hell are they doing? Like that brand looks awesome. Carlos Vela, got to be top twenty in the world, possibly. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 very good. Uh, you could make the argument talent wise, probably easily top three or four to ever play in MLS. And like, uh, and like I said, the branding looks awesome. Like they get celebrities out to the games all the time. You know, mm-hmm. like I remember um, like Bill Simmons podcast for a while especially when the Lakers aren't good, he was telling everyone that was listening, it was like, LAFC is the best sporting event you can see in LA. Better yeah. than Dodgers, better than, and that's like, you can well, tell, you could tell yeah. the outside, like something special was going on there. Yeah. So I think, I think that's definitely got to be on the list. And, uh, I, I, I'm, I'll say like uh, rebel arena, um, 
just as a homer. And then also if you come to the bands just to see 50,000 people watching MLS games, is pretty cool too. Once upon a time, I read a, an athletic article about a Tottenham U23 player getting loaned to Atlanta United playing in front of 50,000 people. And he's like, what the hell? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny to hear the reaction because he came from English football to MLS yeah. and then all of a sudden he's playing in front of a football stadium crowd. It's, wild. I mean, it, it's, it's wild. Like there's like, sometimes you'll like read the headline where you're like Atlanta United had like the number five most attended soccer game in this week. And you're like in the world. And it was just like, Whoa, that's like a crazy thought. And I think the atmosphere uh, has really built upon this idea that you're starting to see now in South American players that are like, leaving arguably or inarguably better leagues and right. dying to come to play in MLS. Right. And, and big like teams too, like river Platte and Boca juniors, all the South American big guys. Like, yeah, you start to see them come to MLS. It's a fact. Like, yeah. Pity Martinez was voted the best player in South America. And then he forced to move to MLS. Yeah. Cause like there's something about playing in front of this many people. Also like the infrastructure is good. Also the paycheck is going to be coming in and US you're living in the u.s which let's be honest as, it's attractive to some of the other options in in south and central america yeah and like you can you can live a normal life here so it's like um you're not bothered every second by every day That's uh, cool. <laughs> yeah so it's, it's it's crazy and it's helping recruiting better better talent into the league which is pretty rad right and then the transition to selling players yes and do yeah. you think joseph Martinez is going anytime soon. So I think Joseph probably not because like the amount of money he can make in MLS is probably more than he can get elsewhere. Yeah, you said I, he's one or two star in the city. Like he's yeah. gotta, that's, that's, that's I, I will put money down. He will, at the end of his career, will get a statue in the city. I'll put money down. <laughs> like He'll it. get a statue. Yeah. <laughs> Right now, the only statue that I can think of is Dominique Wilkins, um, but I think I think he'll get one. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I think he, he's probably worth more in the league than outside of it. But I think the players that are like uh, that are apt to get sell sold are like LAFC, Diego Rossi, Brian Rodriguez, um, and like FC Dallas has like probably three or four players that could easily be sold. Their academy state. seems to be like the best academy in the country. Yeah, I would say yes. You know, Paxton Pomacall probably can go. Reggie Cannon, as you mentioned, definitely mm-hmm. Europe ready already. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's the last step. I think is selling more often, and hopefully Davies and Tyler Adams was the first step, in, in hopefully a lot more of that. Sure, and I think I think you will see that. Yeah. So, what don't you like about MLS? What like if you were put as commissioner today? What do you think are important changes for the league to, to take the next step forward? Yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting question because I've been focused so much about like the past, like not thinking about the future, but like, sure. Uh, to me, the, there's a few things. One is like structurally, they have to incent selling more. Um, and right now it's complicated, but like fundamentally, like when you, if, when Vancouver sold Davies for 13 million, the amount that they actually put back into their salary budget was only 750,000. That's sad. Yeah. So it went to the league, right? That's where the league centric model starts to become, you know, the league is at such a point in their growth where that might be a problem now. 
Yeah. So, so the rest of the money actually, because it was home, actually kept within Vancouver, but they're not allowed okay. to put it into their, their the roster. Academy. Yeah, they can't put it on the, the roster. They can't actually make the roster better with it. They can yeah. use it to like they use it on like transfer fee maybe. Uh, um, but like they can't actually break. I'll give you an example. Like Pax and Pombacal, let's assume he's like a MLS best eleven player, which in if he was traded within the league, you'd probably get one point five million dollars in allocation easily. Okay. Uh, and what that means is that that $1.5 million, it turns your salary budget from say $8 million to now $9.5 million. So it's worth a lot. But if you sold Paxton Pomacall to Manchester United for $20 million, you would only get 750,000. Mm. So like it's, it's yeah, counterintuitive it's sell player. Yeah. yeah. And I think so that's would, the criticism since I came from American European fan in, like that's yeah. some of the criticisms that I see a lot. Like yeah. people are always complaining about transfers and, and, and I have to admit, like when I first see them, I have, I have this visceral reaction. Like, like, uh, what's the guy from Red Bulls, uh, Aaron, Aaron Long. Long. Yeah. yeah. Like that, of- that transfer drama seems like, I don't understand it. Like he wants to go, like, let him go. Let him go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and it's partly because of the, the model, right. To replace Aaron Long that would actually cost the Red Bulls more than what they would actually get from selling him. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and that's the first thing you have to change as a commissioner. You have to incent it. You have to incent the teams more. So, like, instead of getting seven hundred fifty thousand, make it like three million or five million as a max. I mean, then all yeah. of a sudden, yeah, Gross. then you're going to get people selling, and and you're going to get an engine of revenue coming in. And going. Right, but that's uh, when you start seeing perhaps a top-heavy league. You know, yeah, and that's been their concern is to keep it competitive, top to bottom, which which you have to appreciate, but. There's something about promotion relegation that that drew me into the game. I don't know if it'll work with MLS. I understand now that I've listened to your podcast, like why they didn't implement it. They couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> but it makes the whole table interesting. There is something like there's something without a doubt very attractive, especially I mean uh, as basketball fans, like basketball is my number two sport by far. There's something very unattractive about tanking. It like really terrible. Sucks. I hate it, it sucks to watch. Yeah. But you, but you're like, all right, based upon the rules where like nothing happens to you outside of good things. If you have oh, terrible you know? years. Yeah. yeah. Like you have the worst year. That means you have the best draft pick. Right. And yeah. so like that, if you were a GM in basketball, actually the right decision is to tank, even though it's bad for the game. They can't admit it, but they are tanking. NBA yes. teams 100% tank for, for draft picks. Yes. Yeah. And like, and so there's something very attractive about promotion relegation where like it completely wipes that out. You can't yeah. do that. Like you literally cannot do that. The, the business side of it without getting too much details is like, because of the structure of it, it's almost impossible to set it up in that opening it up to the bottom. Right. So MLS, like letting USL teams becoming MLS teams, I think, I don't think that can happen. Yeah, what, it's what not happen? ready. It's not yeah. ready yet. There's not enough structure to have yeah. it. I, the only the only method I could think of is splitting once I get to 30 teams to then split into two closed uh you know, uh, one two in MLS. Like in that way you still have the protection of the MLS all around but you still get some movement, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think I'm just a, I'm just an arm. I'm just a guy in my basement drinking a beer. So, <laughs> so, so I, I think the I think the way that's actually I think realistic and possible, and the owners could theoretically say yes to, is if you made a league between Mexico and the U.S. that you promoted the teams to. Um, and, and that MLS just got rid of relegation today. Did you see that? Yeah. 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 So they, they built the same floor. And to me, it just says like they're, they're ramping up to like somehow I probably at first it's going to be like an American league, national league and baseball where they just play each other in the championship. Really? I kind of love yeah. it. But like, you could totally see like, all right, there's 30 MLS teams. There's like 18 Liga MX teams. Let's take the top 10 in each and make a league mm-hmm. and then have like promotion relegation between the two kind of subs. And, and the reason why it can work structurally is I think if you show that MLS teams and Liga MX teams are like in the same level, the amount of money from TV that you unlock is huge. The quality, all of a sudden, you have a large portion of this population that doesn't think MLS is good enough because they watch Liga MX. Now you're, you're getting their dollars. Yeah. Uh, and, and to me, the that's probably... The-, in, the market for soccer in Mexico is also huge. Like Huge. And it's going to grow. Um, MLS will succeed just because of the position that it's starting in. And I think there's a, a new soccer awareness building in the United States. Maybe I'm crazy, but I yep. think that's what's going on. <laughs> it, it's totally there. And like, and like, it's, you know, as like uh, EPL fans or Bundesliga fans, it's easy to forget the most popular league by far in the U S is Liga MX. Right. And, and by like, ratings and TV and all that stuff. And then the most popular team in the U S by far is the Mexican national team. And so like, if you can show like, if you can show that the MLS teams are at that quality and the best thing you can watch is not Liga MX games, but the games between MLS and Liga MX that opens up a lot of revenue. And I think once that's open, the owners are willing to give up some of the control and the floor that they built yeah. themselves in order to get the upside and that yeah and I think- the upside's there too and you actually yeah. got me into CONCACAF Champions League after I listened to that episode I was in bed watching LAFC oh man that was like terrible season team against but that's what drives me nuts about CONCACAF Champions League is that it's literally the MLS team's first games like when you think back to any team's first game of the season it's just it's like not the team you know yeah it's not right I don't know it how really, they. It really isn't. It really isn't. I don't. I. I don't know why they picked that schedule. It's, um, it's so dumb for for MLS. Yeah, and and LA, LAFC had a tough draw because most teams in MLS they draw like a non Liga MX team for the first one. So at least you have a month of playing time by the time. Like you Sounder, play. Sounders played like a El Salvador team or, or something. Yeah. Like yeah, and they, and if they continue to win, they don't play Liga MX until the semifinals, which would be like late March. And so hopefully by then he'll they'll have their feet underneath them. But yeah, it's like it's tough. It's tough for sure. They played Lyon or something, LAFC. Yeah, Club Lyon, and they're like the, right now. The there, look, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, into they, the they were into it. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like. Down there, they're starting to respect MLS more to the point where, like, they're coming out for the games. That wasn't always the case. Like, they're coming out. They, they're trying to win. Um, and I, and I'm so, MLS supporters traveling to those games, especially, like, you know, 
Costa Rica. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a fun, that's a fun place to go for a game. Right. Right. Do like a away trip slash vacation. You know, yeah. like a, it's nice. I've been it's to Costa Rica. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like, go there. Yeah. Let's go to the beach and let's go to a game. It'd be nice. All right. So we're coming up in an hour. Yeah. I have one more question to ask you from your podcast. And then we usually end the podcast with a rant. So like anything yeah. you want to rant about. So be thinking of that as I throw you a question. You yeah. mentioned that the MLS draft still, uh, you envision that still having to happen, the college draft into MLS. Yeah. I to ask you about that. And, Cause I have a different opinion. Yeah. Um, do I think it's going to happen in the long run? Yes, I think it will. Uh, I think it'll, it'll get shorter. Um, it, uh, the reason why I think it's going to continue to happen is because fundamentally, even if you have every single MLS academy, that's 30 academies eventually, um, and you have some smaller academies in USL, this country is so big that you're still going to maybe not capture everyone. And so there'll be enough people in the college system where it's probably worth having a draft um, and, and picking up players. And I think even if you look at the last few years, like Julian Gressel came from the draft, Miles Robinson came from the draft, um, Kyle Laren was came from the draft, Jack, Jack Harrison. And so like there's enough top-end talent. Now the talent is usually really gone by 7, 8, or 10. And so like having 70 picks doesn't make any sense anymore. Sure. I think I think you have one round, thirty picks, and it's sort of closer to the NBA. Where honestly, if you have pick number twenty-four, it's sort of useless. Um, but like pick number one is probably not as definitely not as important as an NBA. But like pick number one through five, you're like I'm probably going to get a decent player, and I think that you can see existing well, a lot. All right, so here's my counter argument. Why okay. not just let them enter the free agent market? Because it's closer to world soccer. They're 22 years old. They should allow it to be moved, moved around freely instead of being drafted by a specific team. Yeah, I think, I think from a pure soccer perspective, that would make all the sense in the world. I think the, the one thing that MLS has to think through is like, as they're giving more free agency, it kind of takes away their legal right to this idea of single entity um, and single saying entity. that they're yeah, of like them saying that we're not, we're not thirty different entities. We're one entity that's right. with soccer. Um, so if you get rid of the draft, it's like one more thing in there. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I agree. I agree with you, man. In general, like from a pure soccer standpoint, if you're 22 and then no team has developed you, then yeah, sign with whoever. Like you can in any league. Right. Like you don't. You probably don't need the draft. I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, so maybe maybe when the leagues converge and there's pro rel between Liga MX and MLS and single entity is no longer there, I think crystal totally ball. Yeah, I'm in totally for it, man. I'm in for yeah. it. Yeah, I hope it happens by the time I'm 50. I'm 32 now. Yeah, yeah. I, me too, man. I, I'm also hoping I can see a, a World Cup in my lifetime. Yeah, that'd be cool. Of, and yeah, are you going to go to some games in the U.S. when it uh, floats back I'll, here? I will definitely be going to see uh some games in the u.s i just hope like i can see the u.s win it once in my the men's side win sure. once. sure yeah. Mm-hmm. uh yeah man cool all right so you get a rant before you go and then i will let all you right. go i will say my rant is this is like literally the one thing that we're chasing in mls 
is to beat Liga MX and CONCACAF Champions League. We have a bad scheduling problem, but we know about that. And so if you qualify for the Champions League, please prioritize the Champions League. And so like what we see is teams constantly being like, we qualified. And even though we know that our first game is like three or four months after preseason, which means the only way you can be successful is keeping the same coach, keeping your core, not selling your players off. What we've seen is almost every single team this year outside of Seattle still either change coaches or change a lot of their players. And honestly, they're not set up to win. Um, sure. and, and to me, it's really, really frustrating. Like I know maybe it makes it harder to win MLS cup, but like for the sake of the league, like if you qualify for this tournament, please take it seriously. And, and, that and I, yeah, that, that stage is getting bigger. I'm interested in CONCACAF Champions League. That That's what drew me into your podcast and has me talking to you now. Like, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you're playing, you're playing Central and North American teams together. Like, I'll watch. <laughs> yeah, and like, honestly, winning means something. It means that you're actually not improving in the bottom line, which is like, no doubt, but like, you're improving on the field of play. And then you go play FIFA World Cup, which you saw Liverpool prioritize over an FA Cup game. So yeah. was, that was cool. Like I was like, oh, okay, well, you make FIFA World Cup. I didn't really know much about FIFA World Cup, but to see Liverpool take Monterey serious, yeah. Monterey gave him a game for Mino, got a goal in extra time. I was like, this is – MLS can play Liverpool like in a yeah. real meaningful game. In a real game where they're trying their best. And you can re- – that's like the only way you can gauge are we actually getting better or not. You know, like take it seriously. That's all I'm saying. I love it. I love it.